is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 174, operating on March 27th, 2023. This is Andrew, an airline operations manager, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We are here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, you've, log- you've logged a lot of distance this week, but it wasn't in the air. It was on the road and on foot. You got back yesterday, and as you were getting out of your car, your neighbor said, you look like you were hit by a bus. Were you on the show Survivor or something? It kind of looks like you were. <laughs> well, some of the obstacles that I had to do, I felt like, I, yeah, it was Survivor. No, as I mentioned last week, we did a road trip down through the Central Valley, dance competition for the girls, and then we went to Santa Monica for a couple days for a beach day. And then we ended up at Disneyland for four days. Anyone who's been to Disney World or Disneyland with kids ranging from the ages of three, almost four to seven, you 100% understand how I'm feeling right now since we pulled in <laughs> after our after our road trip. I think I sent you the screenshot. Drew and Marissa uh, posted something on Instagram, a story of me carrying my four-year-old oh, yeah. in my arms. Yeah, She's life. asleep. It, it's like I'm carrying this log. We did like 10 miles every day, and I'm carrying both kids, including my 60-pound, seven, <laughs> almost eight-year-old, on my back at times. So it was quite the adventure. I will say, though, it was a lot easier without a stroller. It was a lot mm-hmm. easier with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old than yeah. it was when we did it right before COVID with a three and a half, or with a four-year-old and a six month old it's so no as more, the kids yeah so no more stroller so that makes it a lot easier but then you have so to carry much them. easier so i it, i yes and really the only reason that i carried them was to maximize our time on rides because of course the four-year-old is going to walk like a four-year-old mm-hmm. so to speed things up you pick them up and say come on let's go <laughs> but then as soon as you pick them up they fall asleep and you feel mm-hmm. bad you don't want to set <laughs> you don't want to set right. them down <laughs> and you were getting early starts. You were there like what seven a.m. for um, the the early entrance or whatever. We, it, it, I, I think you texted and you said it's like someone with lounge access that you get every right. possible penny out of your mm-hmm. experience. <laughs> That's exactly what we did because we were staying in a Disneyland park hotel on property, which then gets you in thirty minutes before the people who are not staying at the park. So we were up every morning, ready to go, walking. Oh, by the way, it was a mile, uh, almost a mile from the hotel to the entrance of the park, even though we were staying on property. Because you walk through, as we went to Disney Springs in Orlando, they call it Downtown Disney in Anaheim. We walked through all the stores and everything before we even get to the parks. So we walked a mile from the hotel. Just to get there. Just to get there. We got there at 7.30 every morning. And one of the evenings, I think we were there until like seven o'clock at night. I mean, we did more than 10 miles, almost 12 hours in the park. And the kids were just go, 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 go. And mm-hmm. then they would crash in the room. We'd fall asleep. We'd wake up and rinse <laughs> like repeat, do, do it again the next day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, the girls looked really happy. And what was that? Um, there was some Dole Whip or something that you guys were eating that looked really Oh, good? my goodness. I am, you know, I haven't been on social media for a long time. And Marissa, I guess, said that all the rage on social media right now is it's called Dole Whip. It's this, Mm -hmm. this like frozen yogurt type 
but I, I guess it's dairy free. I, I don't really mm-hmm. know, but it's this frozen concoction. Think like soft serve for out uh-huh. of the machine that is made by Dole, the fruit company. And it's got this like um, pineapple infused flavor in it. And yeah. apparently that, and you, uh, I guess it came out in 1984. And the only place, because we looked this up because we were curious, yeah. the only place that you could get it was in Disneyland parks. But now, I guess, it's become so popular and it's become this sensation on social media versus like, well, we can't leave without getting this Dole Whip thing. And then I found that they're introducing it in grocery stores now. So I feel like this is an aviation podcast. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. non-aviation stuff. So I have to bring it back to aviation. Right. This is like the, this is like Biscoff in a way where. Oh, yeah, you Biscoff was this famous thing that really you only could get on airplanes until mm-hmm. recently. And now Biscoff is everywhere. Greg said that his daughter sent him a picture of some Biscoff ice cream tree mm-hmm. that she found at Costco or something. <laughs> so this, this Dole Whip, and I, of course, I mean, it's presented incredibly well and it's got like a little pineapple chunk Umbrella. in it and everything. And, yeah. and it's at a tiki bar at the hotel. So I had to get like the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the little lanterns or uh, not lanterns, tiki torches in the back and yeah. get, get the Instagram worthy photo of, of this Dole Whip thing. It, it was, it was delicious though. Well, I'm sure I, if it's, if it's that popular among people who go to Disneyland, I'm sure I'll, I'll see it at the Costco soon with a pallet of it that I can buy and not eat for s- six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I, I want to bring uh, a couple more things back to aviation again, because this is an aviation podcast. I texted you and, and the group. I said, well, hey, hold, hold on. I can't talk for a little bit. I'm about to go flying because we did the Millennium Falcon ride. Yeah. Anyone who hasn't done it, it is awesome. It is totally worth the wait, no, no matter how long it is. It's like a simulator. So you go in this little box and you like you feel like you're in the flight deck of the millennium falcon they did a really good job of making it completely accurate and there's this goal you're supposed to go blow something up so you're actually controlling it and you're flying and it's a simulator on the screen you have two pilots one pilot does the up down the Uh other pilot does the left right and then the two people who sit in the back are the ones who have the guns that they're pushing Uh the buttons so you have to work together between the left seat and the right seat it's not like flying a real airplane where one one pilot is controlling both the left and the right. right. So you're screaming back and forth <laughs> to the other person, like, go left, go up, like, do this. Poppy was was the left, right. I was the uh-huh. left down. So I'm, like, yelling at her, telling her, no, go more right, go more right. Yeah. It, it was it was awesome. It was so much fun. How do so they do fun. this with all these lines? I mean, they, do they have several of these or just one that they people... They do. Yeah, no, they, they have... I, would venture to guess they probably had like 10 bays that we all split off into and they're doing the simulation 10 10 times and it was only like a minute that we were in there so that they're able to get people through pretty quickly but that was that was a lot of fun so any any app geek you definitely have to go do that and then i sent you guys a picture yesterday our final or two days ago our final day at california adventure park there's this goofy roller coaster and it's goofy's flight school yeah, and it's it's the <laughs> one with the sticker on the back of the roller coaster. It's Training a student pilot. pilot. Yeah, yeah, student pilot. As you go through this, it's teaching you how to do turns, and it's just this like whip saw. It's just whipping you all over, and then it says how to do a dive, and you go down this like huge embankment, and then the best part is like how to land. 
and the way they slow you down. Most roller coasters, it's kind of like a constant slow as you go into the the place where you board. They do like this jerky (laughs) thing, which makes it seem like you're bouncing multiple times down the (laughs) runway. So that was that was pretty fun. So for the listeners, I am going to you send a bunch of pictures. I guess they snap pictures of you as you're on these roller coasters Some of the so rides. catch your yeah. reaction. So I'm going to make a collage of all your reactions. <laughs> it's from happy to crazy to get me out of here. I'm well, part, part of it is I, I knew where the photos were going to be taken. So I would uh, pose for the camera knowing what was coming. And the best part is if you're on a, a ride and it's everyone else's first time, you get mm-hmm. their like unadulterated reaction and mm-hmm. then you got people who know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So they're doing the, the goofy faces. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One, the other one thing last. About... Yep. Well, I, I was going to say the last aviation tangent that we have with this vacation, we were staying in Santa Monica for two days before we went to Disney, hoping for a beach day because it's SoCal and it's supposed to be 70 degrees and sunny. It was mm-hmm. like 55 and rainy for the first half of our trip. But because of that, LAX was flipped. They were landing to the west and they were, or no, sorry, they were landing to the east and they were taking off to the east. So the arrival path went just south of our hotel. I sent you guys some pictures from our room. I was watching the inbound arrivals into LAX from our hotel at Santa Monica Pier, which that only happens aside from after midnight where most airplanes do land to the east an entire day of landing to the east at LAX yeah, happens maybe weird. like twice a year. Yeah, I mean that's that's a letdown for the for the spotting crowd cuz you're not an in and out burger where they're swooping in real low. You know, they're coming in True, and, but Tyler made a good point. He said that the people who go to the beach then get to have the airplanes come right over the top at the beach. Though it was low visibility, so it wasn't it, the photos wouldn't have been great. But Tyler did make a good point. Yeah, I have never seen, I don't think I've seen pictures of them approaching from that side. I don't know. I don't think it's like Maho Beach where, you know, you can almost touch it. <laughs> no, it's, it's not tropical. No. Okay. The other thing I want to ask you about is, so the aviation tangent is we're going to be talking about uh, fly-by-wire and we'll be talking about uh, eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. You you drove to Los Angeles and back all all electric. Mm-hmm. So how was that? You, you only made like a, a stop or two, right? It was, didn't yeah. seem like a, a big hassle to charge it. I would say the range was decreased from what we would have had if we drove the car. And then we the the charging, while it's fast at some of them, they, they have superchargers, which charge it really quickly. And then they have like tr- trickle charge, which we did overnight. So all, all the hotels that we stayed at had chargers that, it took like 12 hours to top it off. The superchargers, very fast. It was about 30, 35 minutes, but that still is longer than filling up a tank of gas. A tank of gas, you pop in and it's less than five minutes. So we just tried to time it with the kids needing to use the bathroom and get lunch and whatever else we had to do. Getting into the EV toll thing, where airlines make money right now is turning the airplanes quickly. Mm-hmm. and fleet utilization with electric and recharging until they can get it down to the same amount of time as what it takes right now to refuel an airplane and get them back in the air again and get yeah. the range. I don't, I, I'm, I'm all for it, but I don't see how it's going to be highly 
lucrative for the airlines aside from maybe saving on some of the fuel costs and everything, but they're going to have to figure out a way to do it very, very quickly. Otherwise, I, I don't see it being uh, a moneymaker for the airlines. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Okay, so so it took about 30 minutes to charge. That was a full charge on a fast charge. And I'm hearing about these five-minute fast chargers that people are working on. So pretty soon it's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like pumping gas. Well, can, can I just add, add one thing uh, for the aviation piece here? I know we talk a lot about how private industry and innovations and things end up making their way into private life, you, you know, like NASA type in, uh, inventions have, have made their way. I think like the microwave, the internet, the, internet right. the microwave, things like that, that were developed mm-hmm. initially for the space program. And I could be wrong about the microwave. I'm sure Aaron will probably tell us, but I, I think I remember hearing that the microwave was initially designed or developed by NASA. Uh-huh. Anyways, this seems like it could be the opposite direction mm. where private industry, so something for right. consumers, they're able to get it down so good and, and so quick with the, the charging piece that it then plays up into commercial aviation and yeah. that that space, if that makes right. sense. So it's almost like it's going the opposite direction where the innovations and technology and stuff that that we're figuring out for personal consumers with electric vehicles, they're able to use that technology then in the aviation space. Right, exactly. Yeah, so for EV tall planes, your flight hopefully won't be delayed because the first officer forgot to plug it in when they, you know, when Mm -hmm. they got to downtown SFO or downtown San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you sent some pictures. You went to your uh, home away from home or second home or... could quickly become, I guess, a place where you just fall asleep and wake up and start working there again. Yeah, exactly. No, I went back to Dulles to the Smithsonian Udvarhese Museum with uh, met uh, our my buddy Neil from college with his two kids that were coming in from London, and also took Robbie. They loved it. They l- loved it. Even Robbie, who's not an aviation person, was like, "This is fabulous." Because you know, if it's all about planes. Udvarhese is all about planes. You walk around the planes, you know, so close that you can almost touch them. And I told you, it's like, at this point, I've been going like, it seems like every two weeks, I could honestly be a docent there and walk people around mm-hmm. and tell people, <laughs> tell people what things are, but they had a great time. But so Neil and his two was, kids, Josh, was that Robbie's, was oh, that Robbie's first time? I believe it was his first time. Really? Yeah, loved it. Mm-hmm. And he wow, was like, it's, it's been brain. around for 20 years and you guys live there and that's his first time. Yeah, I know. And he was like, this would be a good place to bring his class. They would eat it up. Oh, yeah. We have two new listeners. It's Josh and Luke, which are Neil's kids. They loved listening listening to the episode where I talked about my stories with Neil when we worked at Reno Air. <laughs> and they got so much of a kick out of listening to it. They wanted me to tell the stories again. <laughs> so yesterday I'm just doing it again, you know, in full animation. <laughs> they just were eating it up and they're like, tell us more, tell us more. I guess it's kind of cool. And, you know, they, they're hearing stories about their dad when their dad was young and they just like. Stories that their dad probably has never told. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Some of them kind of embarrassing and stupid. <laughs> so that was really fun. But I got to tell you, <laughs> Neil has given me uh, a word that I'm going to keep using un- until you or other pilots are offended and tell me. To stop I'm, a, to I'm already offended. I'm already offended. <laughs> so anyway, I'm so, a millennial. 
You're, I'm a millennial. <laughs> you're easily offended, and I'm I'm already offended by it. Okay, but you're a pilot. You are not out. a protected category. And if this <laughs> term for pilots comes from a pilot, I'm going to say, well, it, uh, I learned it from a pilot. It's not me. So yeah, how this came, how I learned this, and I started laughing as I read it, and I think I sent you the screenshot. So they fly in on a 767 from London, and halfway through, you know, the, the last half of the flight into D.C. was very bumpy, and he's upset because he wants a second meal. And he's a non, he's a non-rev. He's a very needy non-rev, apparently. So he wants a second meal, and there's turbulence, and they're not serving anything, you know, for safety. And then he says, "Okay, these throttle monkeys finally <laughs> these throttle monkeys finally descended and found smooth air. Where's my wine and lunch? <laughs> Bring me a pig, fiddle, play me a fiddle, amuse me. <laughs> I'm gonna ring my call button if this thing if if things don't start moving." And then he says, I will never non-rev on this airline again. He got that from me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I will never non-rev on. Like, the airline cares that they're not going to get your $35 meal. <laughs> they really yeah. <laughs> He's trying to send me pictures. He said, pictures won't go through. But anyway, I asked him, did you just coin that word throttle monkey? Because that's, I'm just imagining two monkeys in the cockpit playing with the throttle. It's like, maybe, maybe the, ooh, there was ooh, no turbulence. Ooh, they were just... Ooh. <laughs> it's like the Millennium Falcon, you know, two kids, Poppy and Pippa, find the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> All right, so if any pilots out there are offended by the term throttle monkey, I don't care because you're not a protected category. <laughs> and I got that term from a pilot. <laughs> but anyway, Doug, we had a great time. You know, I've been asking Neil to be on the podcast. He's not a big social media person. And Josh, Josh, if you're listening, you can be on the show. <laughs> Josh wants to be on the show and tell his stories about being a pilot's kid. I'm like, yeah, Josh, you could tell us about that would be great. what yeah. it's like. You know, you could tell us your worst non-rev story, your best. And he's like, I know, I know. He already has a, the kid loves to talk. So he would be podcast gold. But I'm like, drag your dad on and he won't have to speak as much and you can do all the talking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with so many visits to the museum, Drew, you should get a free parking by now. Is it free parking? No. So the museum is free, really? but you yeah. pay for parking, which is $15, which is a bargain. Because I, I took off, was it five of us in there? So it's like $3 each. Okay, you well, t- tell you what, I'll, I'll write my congressman and see if we can get you exempt. The, yeah. I mean, for all the work I do. And, you know, maybe they don't charge any money, but they make a lot of money selling like $10 burgers at the Shake Shack mm-hmm. and you know, a $15 keychain at the gift store. So I do bring them, I do bring in a lot of money for it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some work done. This first segment this week, we're going to go back to our aviation word of the week. And this one is timely as the FAA is investigating a number of aircraft, as we call them, near misses recently. What is this word, Drew? This week's word, Doug, is TCAS, Traffic Alert and Collision Avoidance System. The FAA defines TCAS as a family of airborne devices that function independently of the ground-based air traffic control system and provide collision avoidance protection for a broad spectrum of aircraft types. All TCAS systems provide some degree of collision threat alerting and a traffic display. Axios News, Doug, reported just last month, I didn't even know about this, at Hollywood Burbank Airport, a Mesa Airlines regional jet went around after a SkyWest flight was cleared for takeoff as the Mesa aircraft was only about a mile from the runway. The SkyWest aircraft took off while the Mesa flight went around. 
The two aircraft were alarmingly close to one another for at least seven, several seconds per the rat radar data. The Mesa pilots received and complied with an alert from their aircraft's TCAS. The system can automatically detect nearby planes and tell pilots how to avoid a collision. Doug, and, and I'm asking because I don't know. How does mm-hmm. the TCAS system, how does it look and how does it work on a 777? Yeah, on a 777, uh, we get hits or, or returns from other airplanes that just show up on our nav display. So as we're flying along and we have our waypoints out in front of us and we see the Magenta line that we're following, you can select it so that it shows mainly above, airplanes above. So we'll do that on the climb out. It looks upward, something like seven or 8,000 feet. And then it shows below you like two or 3,000, something like that. And then you can change it in the descent where you mm-hmm. flip it so that you're looking down something like seven or 8,000 feet and only above you a couple thousand. And then in the in-flight mode, basically you just bring it down so it's only a thousand or two feet above or below you just so you have situational awareness as to what's going on. Now, the display, that doesn't mean that the airplane isn't still looking in that wide range of seven or 8,000 above and below. It's just not going to show you the targets. Okay. So if you're, let's say if you're flying over really busy corridor, but you're really high, you're at like 40,000 feet. You don't really care to know that there are 20 airplanes, five to 10,000 feet below you because mm. they're not doing anything that's going to impact your airspace. So you just change the display so that you only see the targets that are close to you. Mm-hmm. And this is a system, an autonomous system where the airplanes are talking to each other. And it's like this handshake agreement. I don't know what it is on the triple, but I know on the KC-10, our airplane could track up to 43 targets at a given time. Wow. And it could do what's called a resolution advisory. Mm-hmm. Where it, it Okay, l- let me actually back it up. The whole point of TCAS, look up, there was a DHL 757 that collided with a Russian, I think yes. it was an illusion, okay. in Uber, Germany. I think it was Uber Lingen, Germany. Yeah, back in like 2002, 2003 timeframe. Yeah. And what what happened was the control that basically the two airplanes were on a collision course and the controllers told one airplane to do one thing and then the other airplane to do another. But one of them, I'm probably messing this up a little bit, but basically they were they flew into each other. It was a midair collision. Everyone perished. If the. Russian airplane, the Russian built airplane, I, I don't remember who the operator was, if they had had TCAS, that yeah. wouldn't have happened because the airplane, the airplanes would have talked to each other and one airplane would have said, you climb, I'm in the descent. Right. They, they might miss each other by only about 100 or 200 feet, but missing by 200 feet is, is a lot better than having a collision. So yeah. the airplanes talk to each other and we actually practice this in the sim where you get a resolution advisory first of all, you get a TA, a traffic advisory, and right. in the airplane, it'll go traffic, traffic. That alerts you to the fact that there might be a conflict coming up. So you look and see what the other airplane is doing, or airplanes. There could be multiple airplanes that are possible collision targets. Once the airplane senses that there is a possibility of a collision, it'll give you a resolution advisory, which is what I was just talking about, where the airplanes talk to each other. And it tells okay. you whether to climb or descend, and the other airplane will do the opposite. It's it's a fantastic system that keeps our skies safe, which 
it did it in that Burbank incident. Well, this Uberlingen, it's funny that you tell me about this because uh, Ryan, who's the new Av geek I met who works on uh, for our airline at the ramp Adullis, he was mm-hmm. making some dark humor joke and he's like, I don't want to have an Uberlingen situation. And of course, that sounded familiar, but he expected me to know what that is. And I was like, all right, let me Google that. Apparently, TCAS did work on both aircraft, the Russian plane and the DHL plane. Okay. The Russian plane listened to the Swiss air traffic controller's instruction versus trusting the TCAS. Uh, yeah. So they Which that, and, and that we are taught, ignore what ATC is saying, follow mm-hmm. TCAS over ATC. Really? Because, T, because the airplanes are talking to each other. Yeah. ATC doesn't know what the airplanes are saying. Okay. The air, the, ATC does not know what the TCAS is saying. So we, we're always told, follow the resolution advisory, follow the TCAS. Yeah. deviate from your clearance and then once you're clear of conflict you have to call ATC and tell them we just responded to a resolution advisory we're going to return to our originally cleared route or altitude or whatever it is wow that's crazy all right so TCAS that's our word that's the word I actually put out to the group because we were there was a TCAS problem on uh, one of the planes and I guess it has more than one so that if one fails so that was how this came about and I asked the group hey the airline, the aviation word of the week is TCAS. Can anyone tell me what that is? Two people said they knew what it was. And I, for some reason, I thought it was, I said it's terminal, terminal collision avoidance system. And someone corrected me, another av, uh, another aviation type person in the office, like it's terminal. I was like, that's right, it's terminal. But then I looked, sometimes they do say terminal collision avoidance. Oh, so really? I've never heard that. I'll look for it, but, but I have seen that. Anyway, I'm not going to look huh. for it now, but... You guys can Google it. Well, while we're talking about TCAS, it ties into our first news story today. TCAS will be even more critical as we start seeing the emergence of, as you said earlier, Drew, the EV tolls, the electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, whose introduction we spoke about almost two years ago. This is our first news topic. Archer Aviation and United announced that they'll launch an air taxi service between Vertiport, Chicago, which is near the Loop downtown, and O'Hare Airport as soon as, or as early as 2025. That's two years away right now. The trip will take only 10 minutes instead of 45 minutes or more via ground transportation. The aircraft is called the Midnight. It has 12 electric propellers. The transition from lifting the aircraft like a helicopter to moving it forward up to 100 miles at speeds of 150 miles an hour. The aircraft carries one pilot and four passengers. The company still needs to clear FAA certification issues before the service begins. United also plans to eventually offer the service from Manhattan to their hub at Newark Liberty Airport. So they have their first route. You know, I thought it would be from Manhattan to Newark Airport because you would think that would be a bigger market. But it's probably easier to do Chicago to um, O'Hare just because they probably have more connections with the city because that is the the hometown or the biggest airline at O'Hare. Whereas in New York, there's a lot more competition. I don't know. I I, I don't think that's the reason. I, I think the reason is that airspace in Chicago, while it's still super crowded, is yeah. less, much less crowded than the New York airspace because you only have Midway and O'Hare plus whatever smaller airports there are around there to deal with. You don't have all... Chicago barely has, if any sightseeing helicopters like mm-hmm. you have in Manhattan, all up and down the Hudson. You have a lot of general aviation aircraft who go up and down the VFR corridors of the Hudson. So I I think it's an airspace thing more than anything. You know, what I like about this is it has 12 propellers. 
that's great for safety. Uh, you can have two or three of them fail for whatever reason, right? And you still have at least nine. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool. My only concern is it's one pilot and only four customers. So I think this would be for very high value customers that have bought premium tickets and the airline probably just throws this in as a possible perk. So, hey, yeah. you know, fly us in first class. And not only will you have a nice flight, we will take you from downtown to your flight in 10 minutes so you don't have to deal with the traffic and all that. When when the story first broke two years ago, my thought was, where are we going to get the pilots for these? Because we have such a, a pilot shortage right yeah. now. But the more I've thought about it, because this is only going to be a four-seater, it's below the 121 requirement, the FAR part 121, where you have to have 1,500 hours. Yeah. So maybe the pilot of this is going to be a younger pilot who just finished training. Right. And this is the way that they build some of their hours to then get to the main line. Mm-hmm. But then <laughs> United and whatever other companies are operating these they're going to have to get a second or a different certificate because this will operate under part 91 or part 135 charter yeah. operations or other. So this, <laughs> this is going to get into really this gray, sticky well, think, legal well, area. Well, it, you're, you're talking about the grays. I don't think the FAA knows yet, but I can tell you they are classifying them not as aircraft, but as advanced air mobility or air taxis. Mm-hmm. I think they'll be able to get around the normal pilot requirements for the people who fly these. But the problem is it's very vague looking into the how they are coming up with a certification for these pilots. All I see is that they've had a, their, a milestone. They met their milestone of having a meeting in August of last year, <laughs> but I can't find anything else. Yeah. But how awesome would that be as this being a path before you even get to the regionals, you fly this, then you go to the regional, then you go to the main line. You know, what a great path. I think you're going to have the young people that are just starting to fly. And you might have some older people like me and Greg that are bored that want to do something. And this seems like fun. It seems like someone who would do those air taxis in the Maldives, you know, where they fly people from the main airport to some yeah, out to their <laughs> beach. Yeah, their beach destination. Although yeah, if, if really they're not cool. calling this an if they're not calling this an aircraft and it's an advanced air mobility, advanced air mobility, yeah, whatever it is, then the hours may not count toward getting your actual pilot's license. That's true. So maybe this maybe this wouldn't be a path. Yeah, but the that would actually help keep costs lower most mm-hmm. likely because the pilots of these air taxis would be paid a lot less because they wouldn't have to go through the expensive training of getting to a pilot's license. So it, this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> it's the, a whole new world. Next but two, you know what? The yeah, next two years are going to be really interesting. <laughs> but it's good. It's more aviation jobs, right? With, which we love and more jobs in general for everyone. So it'll be interesting. I kind of hope it become they make it into a larger scale where they can take like 30 people, right? So it's more accessible to regular people. And can I non-rev on this? I mean, can we non-rev on this where we check I'm in? I'm sure you can. You know, it's booked at three and there's one seat and I might get it. I don't know. Let's go from the future, Doug, to the present and past with more sad news on another, a trijet. UPS and FedEx will be retiring their MD-11 for fleet. FedEx currently has 54 MD-11s and UPS has 40. Hey, wait, let's take a step back because I'm just assuming all of our listeners know 
exactly what we're talking about. So do you want to tell the listeners what the MD-11 is? Yeah, the MD-11 is basically just a stretched version of the DC-10. It's a, as you said, a trijet. It's the bigger, younger brother of Mm -hmm. the airplane that I flew in the Air Force until just recently. It's got two wing engines, a tail engine. It's because it's longer than the DC-10. The tail is actually a little bit smaller. And I think we've talked about this mm-hmm. on yep, an long. episode two or three years ago yeah. because the it needs a smaller rudder because the moment is larger or mm-hmm. uh, I guess longer from the center of gravity. Yep. Uh, it's got winglets or actually, I don't think they call them winglets on the MD-11. I think they I call think they them. Do. They call them winglets sometimes. Like I've heard the term wing fence. Wing and fence. I think that's on the A380. I think that's huh? more an Airbus. Yeah, yeah, I think that's more of an Airbus thing, but it's it's got winglets out on the end. So it, it, has it looks kind of a it looks scimitar close type. to the same. Right? It, it does, yeah. Cause up and it down. does because it's got a, a smaller one on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all right. So we could just spend the whole time just talking about that, <laughs> your description of the MD-11. But it is a beautiful plane. I have flown. Have you flown on an MD-11? Never. Okay. It it basically was. Maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll try and jump seat on one. Because yes, I can jump seat to. on FedEx and UPS. Yeah, you have to do just, it. Just try and jump seat to, to say that I flew on it. Yeah. I've flown. The only one I've flown on was a Swiss MD-11 from Swiss Air. <laughs> Swiss Air. When we, when we had yeah, pre, pre-current airline. Yeah, from uh, LAX to uh, Zurich. It's big. It's about the size of a 777. Okay, so we're getting way on a tangent. But the 777 went over with two engines because everyone wants less engines because it's more you know efficient less maintenance whatever these airlines they don't have any final dates announced but fedex has taken 20 out of service and ups has grounded six so doug there's still time but it may not be a lot of time to jump seat so get on that fedex has this as part of their drive program which is expected to lower costs by four billion by 2025 their ceo raj subramanian said we come to a fork in the road here are we going to see a high demand environment or a low demand environment. The MD-11 was that flex fleet where they can use it if they have uh, additional demand. As we now look at the demand environment, we don't see that high demand coming through. So, you know, we've been talking that's, about this. That's an ominous, that's an ominous statement. That is. Let, let's finish the, let's finish the bullets and then we can talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. And it may, you know, be related to, to China continuing to be not completely open. UPS is also looking to cut costs as their fourth quarter profit was down 3.3%. That doesn't seem that bad, but look at this. January demand was down 14.9%. That is that is huge. I know that FedEx has parked a bunch of 757s, by the way. FedEx will replace the MD-11s with 767s and 777s, while UPS will use 767s. Uh, but don't lose hope. There's another airline. I know Tyler loves this airline. It has a very generic mm-hmm. paint job, but the paint job kind of appreciates the look of the MD-11. It doesn't take much away from it because it's mostly white. Florida-based Western Global Airlines, you'll see WGA on the tail, is the third largest MD-11 operator with 15 aircraft. Although recent cargo demand has been soft, Airbus and Boeing are still optimistic, Doug, with launches of the A350F and uh, the 777X, or specifically the Dash 8F. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm sad as a trijet pilot for all these years, but I, everyone knew this was coming and there was UP or uh, FedEx kind of unsurreptitiously retired the MD tens over mm-hmm. the holidays w- without any word of it. It was just like one, one day people were like, Oh, the MD 10 hasn't flown for a couple of weeks. And then FedEx said, yeah, okay. They're all retired. That's it. 
people knew this was coming, as he said, the, the two engines are more efficient than the three engines and everyone's looking at, at cost cutting. But I want to go back to this this comment by Subramanian, the CEO of FedEx. And I, I think we talked about this a couple months ago that FedEx has paused hiring until at least May. Oh, really? This was a couple months ago. So for like six or seven months, FedEx is not hiring any pilots while yeah, that's crazy. Delta, American, Southwest, United, all all the majors are just clamoring for these pilots and, and the growth. And I think we've talked about too that if we are in a recession, which mm-hmm. we'll know about in a couple months, if we're headed into a recession, and I know I'm using the R word, if we are, it's going to be this weird one that we've never really seen before where certain industries are hit really hard. Like look at the look at tech right now. Tech is just getting absolutely slammed. Banking is right, getting absolutely layoffs, slammed. Right, we're a lot of layoffs. That. Yeah, but then other other industries are, are booming right now. So it's not like this widespread everyone's in this this down economic downturn. Well, some tra- some industries travel, leisure, restaurants. I mean, you were in Disneyland and it was cold and it was packed. It was packed, yes. And then look back to during the pandemic where I I know the the recession was was super short during the pandemic on paper, the actual, like I'm doing air quotes, the term (laughs) of the recession, Uh but we all felt the pain from that for for a while, it seemed like. But that was kind of, that was like the opposite industries were hit hard from what we're seeing right now. Cargo was booming during the pandemic. Um, delivery services were booming. Tech was booming because that people couldn't go anywhere. People couldn't see each other in person. So of course those industries are are booming and now they're having their downturn while the industries that had the downturn during the pandemic, even though we have high inflation, bank (sighs) issues, all these, all these problems, those industries are booming. So it's this uneven playing field, which is just really weird. But his comment about that they're, the MD-11 is a flex fleet where mm-hmm. they can retire it if they need to based on uh, weakening of demand. Yeah. Oh, shipping being down 14 point, what is it, 9% in January? That's not, that's not a great outlook right now. And if they're parking airplanes and retiring, they aren't hiring pilots. Shipping is in a, a weird place right now. Well, you're, it, it, you're right. It is exactly the opposite for the passenger airlines because he's talking about a flex fleet that's similar to the A380 because Singapore, British, Lufthansa, they were concerned that they were never going to bring those back. But mm-hmm. traffic is higher than expected. So that's kind of their flex fleet <laughs> because they're bringing yeah. those back, including the A340-600, which some of us thought we would never see. Lufthansa is bringing some of those back into the fleet yeah. for the demand. BA retired the 747-400. Are they regretting it right now? Probably. Yeah. Delta reti- yeah. retired the triple. I know for a fact that they're regretting that. Lots of airlines retired fleets during the pandemic, and um, they're regretting it. With the 7-8 delivery issues, Mm -hmm. I know American kind of wishes that they hadn't done all their A330s because they can't, they're not getting wide bodies fast enough to keep up with what they want to do for their schedule. Yeah. I I understand FedEx is trying to save money right now to get get through this downturn. Yeah. Will they regret it in a year or two? Hopefully they get some triples in time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think one kink in the system that we did not forecast is China still being closed. And I said, you know, we're, there's the R word, but I think, you know, when we hit that wall where it's going to happen, China will come back and we'll have all that demand 
from China, right, for travel back and forth to the U.S. and stuff that would that would kind of soften the R word, if you will. Mm-hmm. But it's not looking good because Xi just met with Putin in Russia. That's not a good sign. You know, you want you, we were hoping that China would open up to the West and we'd be back traveling like we're traveling to Japan like crazy now. That's not happening. So we'll see where this goes. But I think that is the kink in the system that we did not expect. And that will directly affect these cargo carriers because a lot of cargo comes from where? China. The one good thing, this is going to take time to play out, but companies are moving their uh, manufacturing facilities more and more away from China. Volkswagen, I believe. No, is it Tesla or Volkswagen? No, Tesla is building a huge battery factory in Mexico. Apple is moving a lot of their manufacturing of iPhones from China to India. So that'll kind of soften it as well, but that doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) Well, our next news story, let's move from civilian to military aviation. The commanders of the Finnish, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish Air Forces signed a joint declaration of intent on March 16th, where Sweden and Finland are not part of NATO, but applied to join in May 2022 due to Russia's aggression in Ukraine. The nations have had talks about a joint force since the 1990s, but not being part of NATO has been a concern. The joint Nordic Air Force would have a combined 250 aircraft. Norway currently has 57 F-16s and 35 F-35s, with 15 more F-35s on order. Finland has 62 F-A-18 Hornets and 64 F-35s on order, while Denmark has 58 F-16s and 27 F-35s on order. And then Sweden has more than 60 Gripen jets, which are, look it up right now, they're actually this cool they're really looking are. like Delta wing airplane with a little canard. Yeah. I've actually refu- refueled them before. Really? It's pretty cool. Huh. Mm-hmm. Major General Rolf Fallen, the chief of the Norwegian Air Force, believes that this could lead to a joint Nordic Center for Air Operations that could also house U.S. and Canada under a single command structure. So this is like a merger of airlines. But it it's really is. De- defense <laughs> it purposes. really is. Yeah, how cool is that? So a 250-strong fleet. It's four different countries, but they're gonna their plan is to operate as one with one joint you know, control center or whatever. And mm-hmm. Canada would also have access to it. You know, it's amazing. I, I just glanced at the number of combat aircraft of these countries. So Russia has 900, which is a lot. This is 250, but this is only four countries. I mean, we're not adding France, Germany. Yeah, four UK. small countries. So NATO, care to guess how many combat aircraft NATO has? Not including these new additions of Finland and Sweden, it, it's it's mind mind blowing. It's pr- probably eight thousand, three thousand. That might be a little high. Okay, three thousand five hundred. That's an amazing force. So Putin's whole plan was to make NATO weaker, and what he's done is actually made NATO stronger. Finland and Sweden are not in NATO yet because Hungary and Turkey have some concerns that they have to work through, but they eventually will be part of NATO. So this is good. It's more they they want that safety. They want to be they want to be protected by NATO because if you attack one NATO country, you're attacking all of the NATO countries, right? Doug, is that mm-hmm. basically yeah? The yeah, it's it's a, a mutual defense. Moving on to our main topic, we always say that this is your show, and it's because we get our inspiration not only from our careers but also from you. We received this email from our buddy Steve, who goes by at Mileage Runner on Twitter. And we're going to make a segment out of it. Steve said, quote, hearing the 737 Max is having more issues got me thinking. 
would Boeing have had so many issues if it had made a landing gear taller so that the engines would fit under the wing? Basically, what he's saying is because then you wouldn't have the MCAS, which mm-hmm. is having to compensate for all of this. He said, aside from the commonality with the height of the 737NG, would it have been better in the long run? The latest episode was another good one, but I did get lost in the engine geek speak. <laughs> now, if you're talking lounge geek, I'll yeah. never get tired of that. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. We, okay. we knew that people like you wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy the engine talk as much. So we are neutral. We're straddling the middle between the engine geeks, which are the Gregs, and the lounge geeks, which are the Ians and the Charlies and the Steves. So we got to walk that fine line. But once again, I always say this. If you're ever bored with the topic that we're on, give it 10 minutes. (laughs) It'll completely change. So we're going from fighter planes to the 737 Max. All right. So Steve... (laughs) Steve, they um, they actually did, you talk about the landing gear, they actually did make the landing gear taller twice. First, when they went from the 737 Classic to the NG, which are the 737 800, 700, 800, 900, and now to the Max. That's one of thousands of little changes along the way for this 1960s design. We tend to point the finger at Boeing, and Doug, you and I are guilty of this, for not replacing the 737 with a new design. The airlines are also, you know, have some blame, right? <laughs> because we love keeping the 737 going to keep the pilot and mechanic training costs low and keeping the same type search certification from the FAA. Let's take a look at some of the changes as well as some features that stayed the same on the 737 MAX. There's a lot. And Doug, as we're going through this, since you flew it, you flew the 800 and the MAX, you're going to tell me more. But these are the big ones. I won't because I brain dumped everything. I don't remember anything. Okay. That was a dark period in, in my life. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm going to force you to relive some of those memories <laughs> of that tight uh, cockpit with steam gauges on, on some of them. <laughs> All right, so the flight controls are still controlled by a hydraulic system consisting of pulleys and cables versus other more modern aircraft that are fly-by-wire or electronic. This is on the 800 NG as well as the Max. We're still, it's pulleys, you know, pulleys and cables. The new CFM 56 Leap 1B engines that are on the Max, they weigh about 6,000 pounds more. They, they make the 737 Max 8 weigh about 6,000 pounds more than the 737-800. So it is bigger. The engines are 11% more efficient, however, than the CFM 56s on the NG models. And they have a diameter of 64 inches versus 61 inches. So to accommodate, you know, you were just mentioning this. So to accommodate these bigger engines, Boeing added six to eight inches to the front landing gear and shifted the engines farther forward of the wing. This causes the airplane to sit tilted up. As Which you, you can said, actually see when they when they taxi. Yeah, it looks weird. <laughs> the new configuration also caused the aircraft to tilt during some maneuvers. This is what drove Boeing to add the MCAS system to push the nose down to compensate. Problems with the MCAS system then led to two deadly crashes. So they keep altering this plane and adding this and that, but there's other effects that you don't that you don't realize. And most new Boeing aircraft have electronic checklists, but the Max still has manual checklists that we use a, a book or a card for. And I know we talked about this was the certification issue with the Max 7 and the Max 10, that there was no ECL electronic checklist. And there's also no ICAST, which is the 
alerting and I monitoring. I was shocked that the 757 yeah. didn't have ICAS. Electronic system found on other Boeing jets also alerts pilots to unusual or hazardous situations during the flight and lays out the recommended steps to resolve them, which is ICAS, what we just talked about. 737 pilots have to sift through paper manuals on how to respond to an emergency or irregularity. Maxes have a 787-style tail cone for less drag and more fuel efficiency, and the 787-style engine nacelles with chevrons on the rear for the noise reduction. Boeing did add some modern features, 15.1-inch LED screens in the flight deck, first around gauges, a fly-by-wire spoiler system, and a new electronic bleed air system for improved cabin pressurization and protection against icing. <laughs> Just the icing. <laughs> Well, yeah, and this whole checklist thing, if you're in an emergency situation, who has the time to dust off a checklist? And, you know, in fact, they were saying, I, I can't remember if it was the Indonesian Max or the Ethiopian, like they found that the crew was looking at, the checklist was out. So they're thumbing through this checklist while they only mm-hmm. have seconds to respond. You know, we have the technology for the airplane to tell you what it thinks it's wrong and give you some advice immediately without having to find the checklist and write the, find the right page. Doug, whether we like it or not, we're stuck with the 737. <laughs> we're stuck with the 737 for years to come. So let's make the best of it. And, you know, you and I, it's a love-hate relationship, right? I I, I feel like when I'm on a, a 737 MAX, it is very modern. The overhead bins are really nice. They somehow make the plane look bigger than it is. I feel like, you know, they talk about the wide A320 seat width, right? I don't feel a difference between the MAX and the A320. I would almost rather be on a 737 MAX than an A320. Uh, just flying both of them at our at our airline. Let's switch gears now to the 787 and a listener comment about why landing gear would remain down several minutes after takeoff. This one is from listener Jan, who is a mechanic for a major European carrier at Chicago. Doug? Yeah, Jan wrote, first of all, thanks for the interesting podcast. Still running a couple episodes behind and apologies if it was already answered, which actually... This question, let's back up. This question dates back to, I don't know, maybe six or seven episodes ago. We had a listener who was taking off out of Frankfurt going to, I think, Abu Dhabi and said that the captain told them ahead of time before takeoff that they were going to have to keep the gear down for a little while before they retract them. And then uh, the listener said that it was really loud, but then they retracted it and they went on their way and was asking why that would be the case, why they would keep the gear down. And Jan, actually, no one did answer this question, so mm. appreciate it. Yep. Going back to what Jan said, he said, relating to this gear down of an Eddie had 787 from Frankfurt, the only reason for leaving the gear down after takeoff on the 787, then he put in parentheses, and the, the 777 and most other aircraft is for a deactivated break. Mm. The MEL operational procedure requires you to keep the gear down for an extra two can minutes. I, can I stop you? During, yeah. So he says... MEL operation, MEL operational procedure. What is MEL? ME, uh, that could be our aviation word of the week next week. Uh, it's the minimum minimum equipment list. Yep. Which let's uh, we'll bookmark that. We can talk about the MEL next mm-hmm. week during normal gear operation. Brake pressure is applied when the gear is selected to up to prevent the additional gyroscope forces from spinning wheels on the gear actuators. When a brake is deactivated. The gear is kept down to slow the wheel down and reduce the forces. Not really 15 minutes, but I guess as a passenger, things always seem longer than they actually are. We usually see crew put a paper around the gear lever to prevent the automate the automation of positive rate gear up after takeoff. It's really interesting. So basically, the gear is spinning mm-hmm. and there are actuators 
on the brakes slow them down when you retract them. Yep. So this MEL procedure, and again, we'll talk about it next week, but anytime we have an item that's MEL, there's usually an additional procedure that we have to follow, a checklist or something based on what the MEL item is. So this, there was probably a brake that was out. Mm-hmm. They had to let the air slow it down yep. before they could retract it. Yeah. When we were talking about this, and I have to remember back, but I think I mentioned um, Neil and I, who <laughs> saw this weekend, Neil and I were on a Malaysia Airlines 747-400 leaving Kuala Lumpur. And I remember the plane vibrating. I don't want to say violently, but it was very noticeable to the point where, Neil, I think one of the engines is failing. You know, it was pretty bad. And just like he said, you know, when you're a passenger, it seems to last forever. It seemed like it lasted a long time. And this was a simpler time, Doug. This was like in the early, this was the mid 90s. During the flight, the the pilots led us into the cockpit and we were sitting in the cockpit over the Pacific Ocean. And we asked mm-hmm. the captain, it's like, hey, that what was that vibration when we took off. And he said, oh, yeah, the brakes, the brakes weren't on on the gear, because when the gear, um, when you lift off, the brakes kick in to stop that rotating. Exactly what Jan is talking about. So that is really good to hear that from a mechanic because for a while, Neil and I felt, okay, so did you as a captain forget to apply the brakes? Like he, it, he didn't really explain to us why that happened. So there must've been some kind of deferral. Deferral is another mm-hmm. word we use for MEL, minimum equipment list, which means here's something that doesn't work. It's not a safety issue. It's on the list to get fixed, minimum equipment list. And it is deferred, meaning we're going to postpone fixing this because it's not it's not a safety item per se. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's, really that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I do like what he said where he, he said he usually sees a crew put a paper on the gear because mm-hmm. we practice this and we do it so often, just habit pattern, positive rate gear up and you just reach for the gear. So anytime there is some non-standard thing, we yeah. usually make a note or put a sticky somewhere or something to remind us to break our normal habit pattern and don't do whatever that is that we're supposed to be doing normally but because because of something is MEL. Yeah. So if this, the break is MEL, couldn't the pilots just do that themselves? Could they apply the brakes to stop the wheels from turning without it doing it automatically? Uh, Cause that's deferred. Maybe not because there's probably a weight on wheel switch, which once the weight on wheel switch is in, inhibited, saying that there is not weight on the wheels and the yeah. airplane is not on the ground, pushing on the pedals. Probably, I would have to look at the schematics. I, I would have to go look at the systems. But I'm thinking once once the weight on wheels doesn't sense that it's on the ground, mm. if you push on the pedals, it's not going to do anything. Be, because right. which would make sense to me because I use the pedals as a rudder when I'm landing. If I were to have the brakes applied, which maybe on a really gusty landing, I might be pushing a little bit too hard on the rudder pedals yeah. as if I'm trying to like apply the brakes. Not that I'm trying to apply the brakes, but I might be pushing the rudder so hard that it actually does push the pedals down yeah. the brakes would get applied. If I were to touch down with the brakes applied, I might blow my tires yeah. because the tires aren't going to rotate. So my guess is there's a weight on wheel switch which does not allow you to input brake pressure until the airplane senses that it's on the ground ground. so that you don't start braking until the wheels are turning because otherwise you're going to have a bunch of blown tires. That that would be my guess. Well, and that also explains why that Malaysia Airlines captain on 
the 400 didn't just apply the brakes if you could do that, yeah. right, to stop the vibration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. Thanks for the email, Jan. And for all of our listeners, keep sending us questions and comments. We love them. Not only do we love them, we use, as a, use it as free material, <laughs> right? As Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's your show, so get to work. Find, find us some topics because we have several, but we found that a lot of the questions that you guys give us are really good ideas. And it tells us, what uh, our listeners out there are thinking about or have questions about because we work in the industry. So there's probably a lot of things that we take for granted that you're like, why do they do that? Or how does this work? So we love these questions. Keep them coming to our listeners. This podcast, as I said, is your show. So go on our website, nextripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at next trip podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 